So, you know these Sundays at the end of G2's year, uh, two weeks away from the summer like break start where it's like we meet only in kind of parks, we don't do any services anymore. This is like the very the dregs of G2's <laughs> time together. And I genuinely find these services really boring. Uh, I, <laughs> I don't know what you've, how you've come today into this. Maybe, maybe you've just come from a wedding, or maybe you've come and finished the holiday, or maybe you've been working today, or maybe you're just looking oh, to go back to work tomorrow, and it's really hot, and there's no air conditioning, and I have a hateful boss. Or maybe, maybe you actually enjoy your job, um, but still, like, it's sunny outside, and who wants to work? But genuine, these, these G2s, I'm like, why do I go to them? I'm like, can the summer just come? I'm like, tired of this. I don't want to go to G2 anymore. I'm bored. I genuinely don't think anything's going to happen. It's honestly the place in which I come in here. So if we're wondering if the, the preacher is better than anyone else here, we know now we're all equal. <laughs> genuinely, that's how I feel. I don't, maybe you do feel bored. Maybe you feel tired. Maybe you feel worn out on, on religion. Maybe you feel worn out on church. And I want to tell you I think something's going to happen here today. I just, I just want to right out of the gate tell you that God is in our midst. God is here and God is ministering to us. That's Jesus. Jesus who, who knows you, who created you. Jesus who died for you. Jesus, who loves you, who knows every hair on your head, is here today and wants to minister to you. Whether you've come in and you feel like you know him, whether you feel like you believe in him, whether you feel like you've known him for 40 years or five years, or whether you just think, oh, okay, well, I might find out a little bit more about this. The Holy Spirit is here. God is here. And something's going to happen. So these dregs of the year, this like bottom end of nothing, I'm, I'm wrong. I'm genuinely, I, I shouldn't come into this expecting nothing because this is where God meets us. And I don't, I don't know quite what's going to happen. I don't know quite how he wants to meet you, but I genuinely know that he does. And he wants to meet you here in a time when you don't expect it, in a time you think nothing is supposed to happen, on a day that you think is too hot and sticky to be inside, closing into summer, where the G2 schedule is just winding down, this is where God can meet you. Not simply in the highs when we've got 100 people, but in these kind of lulls where there's only maybe about 25 of us. Right? Genuinely, this is where God can meet us. So I'm going to just start to unpack uh, a Bible passage where I think some people deal with similar things. And then we'll see where we go, and we'll see what God wants to do. I'm going to begin in the Gospel of John which is the account of one of the four accounts of Jesus' life. And in the, it's, it's the first chapter, um, Jesus meets a man called Nathaniel. So can we turn to, if you have a Bible, or if maybe you have it on your phone, so you can download an app on your phone. You probably don't have time to do it now, but you can get the Bible on your phone. Or I'm just going to read it out over us if you don't want to read it with me. But if you can, find it. Turn with me. We're going to dig into this. This is going to be a straight-up Bible study, as boring as it can be, and we're going to see God move. Okay, so it's 1 John, 43 to 50. Sorry, John 1. Oh, man, how confusing is that? John 1, the Gospel of John, the first chapter of John, starting with verse 43. So, 
Jesus has, is starting his ministry. Uh, and this is just before his first miracle where he turns the water into wine. Which is probably I still think one of the most famous things that Jesus does. Just before that, Jesus meets a man called Nathaniel. And it starts. Are we all there? We all got something? The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, were from the town of Bethsaida. And Philip found Nathanael. Nathanael, he's our key character. Focus on him. Philip told Nathanael, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And this is Nathanael's response. Nazareth. Nazareth, are you kidding me? Can anything good come from there? And Philip says, okay, come and see. Come and see, just try it out. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Nathaniel may not have been that busy going about his life. Sounds like he was sitting under a fig tree. But the rhythm of his life, where he lived, his everyday existence, well, not much of it was expected. Sorry, let me rephrase that. He didn't expect much of it. He didn't expect much of his everyday existence. He didn't expect much of the place that he was from. He didn't expect much of himself. He didn't expect much of his friend Philip, who's met the one he says is the son of Joseph and about who the prophets have written, and about who Moses wrote about in the law. So Philip is telling his friend Nathaniel, this man that I found, this Jesus of Nazareth, is the same person that all the prophets in all our scriptures are preaching about. This man is here today. And Nathaniel's response is, well, not today and not here. That's just not possible. The rhythm of his life is just ordinary. Nathaniel doesn't expect anything. It's not about simply being too busy that he can't see Jesus or too lazy that he can't see Jesus. He just doesn't see in his everyday rhythm anything that might be shocking. He doesn't think God would come to him. He doesn't think God would care about this kind of area. So Nazareth um, is in the Middle East, and it's basically, at the time, it was a, a, a part of the caravan route from Egypt to Syria. So it was a passing through place. It wasn't really any, a destination. It wasn't somewhere people would want to go. Bethsaida, where it says that Andrew and Peter were from, was just a fishing town. These are nowhere places. These are nothing places. This whole region where Nathaniel has grown up and lives is not somewhere where special people are supposed to be. And Philip, his friend, is telling him, the Son of God has come to Nazareth. And Nathaniel really fairly says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good come? Not simply, 
oh, well, uh, we won't see anything really that good. You know, maybe we have the passing band or whatever, and we see something every now and again that's all right. No, he says, can anything good come from there? He expects nothing of himself, of the people that he's around. He expects nothing of his town. He expects nothing of his region. And this is where Jesus enters in. And Nathaniel's Nathaniel shocked. Because Jesus, when he meets him, says, I know you. It doesn't, there's, nothing, there's nothing indirect about this. There's nothing where he you know, has, exchanges pleasantries or has a little bit of polite conversation. Jesus sees Nathaniel coming and says, I know you. And this is not a judgmental kind of wagging the finger, I know you. This is I know who you are, Nathaniel. I love you. I know you. I created you. This is what Jesus is saying us to hear today. I know you. I know why you came here. I know how you found yourself here. I know that you're bored. I know that you're tired. I know that you don't expect much. But I know you. And because I know you, a lot can change. And Nathaniel answers, which is fair enough, how do you know me? And Jesus says, I saw you under a fig tree. I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. So for some reason, Jesus has been able to see Nathaniel far off. I don't know if it's because Philip just called him and Jesus happened to be walking through the place at the time. And Philip went, come on, just come, it's happening now. Or because Jesus saw something in the distance, or maybe he saw a prophecy, maybe it was a dream, doesn't tell us. But all, we, all he says is, I saw you while you, were, while you were still under the fig tree. And the fig tree is actually a symbol it's a symbol of the hiddenness of man before God. So in the Old Testament, right at the beginning in Genesis, in, when Adam and Eve, you remember they bite the apple and then they hide from God? Well, they cover themselves with fig leaves. It's the famous, I'm sure, you, sure you've seen a picture of Adam and Eve where they've covered themselves with the little leaves. Those are fig leaves. And what Jesus is saying in this, he's saying, you were still under the fig tree, Nathaniel. He's saying, you were still covered from me. You were still hiding from me. You still didn't want to be seen by me. And yet, I see through it. I see through your deception. I see through the lies that you're trying to put, put out. I see through your covering. I see through your hiddenness. Jesus is saying, Nathaniel, you represent all of mankind. You represent this relationship between God and man, where man hides because of shame. Nathaniel is under the fig tree, hiding. And maybe he wasn't literally hiding, but Jesus has seen through something and says, you were hiding from me, but I know you. And at this point, Nathaniel, suddenly something changes for him. He says, you are the son of God. And it seems like quite flippant, doesn't it? It seems like he's just seen him under a fig tree, and then suddenly Nathaniel changes from thinking nothing can happen today to thinking everything is happening today. You're the son of God? This is God come to man in front of me. And all Jesus has done is said, I know you. How many of us just need to know that Jesus knows us? How many of our lives would be changed by really getting that Jesus loves you and knows you, that he meets you, that he gets all your quirks, that he gets all your crap, 
that he gets all your good stuff, that he gets your achievements, that he gets your failures, he gets where you are from, he gets where your grandparents are from, your parents are from, he gets the town that he's from, he gets why you're here today, he gets what you're thinking about, he gets when your mind wanders, he gets when it's focused, he gets you. There's not much I can say more than that. When Jesus really meets you, it's a face-to-face encounter where he says, I know you, and I know you behind what you present to everyone else. There's not much more I can say than that. That's the whole gospel. It's that Jesus meets you and knows you and loves you and will not stop. And so Nathaniel is genuinely suddenly changed by this. He's like, you are the king of Israel. You are our king in Nazareth, where I'm from, this nowhere place. You're the king. Why are you here? What are you doing here? I used to um, have to learn Swahili. That's really random, I know. But in, I did a course in Africa, so this is master's, and I, I had to learn Swahili. I was forced to learn it for an evening every two weeks, and genuinely I can remember only one phrase, which is Mburu Matari Mkenya, which means good for nothing Kenyan. And the only reason, the only reason I can remember that one phrase is because my teacher was Tanzanian and he hated Kenyans. So he just all taught us to hate Kenyans with him. Uh, the power of, power of good education, eh? Yeah. Anyway, so I, I had to learn Swahili every two weeks. And one of the things that our teacher didn't really teach us much language, he just kind of told us about what it was like growing up in Tanzania. One of the things he told us about was this village that was far out from the capital. And it was a village I think he'd once visited or something. And and he was saying that in this village, the people there didn't know that the president had died in 1989. (laughs) Today, they still don't know the president has died. There is a village in rural Tanzania. This is not the president, the American one. Tanzanian president. They didn't know their own president had died, what are we talking like, 29, 20, 30 years ago? 30 years ago, right? And not, not only this, but worse than this, is when the current president went to visit them, you know, finally made the trip, they tried to kill him because they thought he was an imposter. And they tried, they went, where is, where is what his name is? Nirere. Where is Nirere? And so this president had to pretend that he was a representative of Nirere come to tell them that Nerere loved them, right? So they will never find out that Nerere is dead. This president will never have died for them. They will always, this Tanzanian town will always think that their president is still alive, right? Now, this is a little bit like what it's like for Jesus going to Nazareth. Nathaniel's like, well, the president doesn't come here. No one special ever comes here. Why would you come here? You just must be a trickster. You're an imposter, and Jesus is like, no, I know you, this is me. And Nathaniel actually gets it, unlike this Tanzanian village, and realizes, you are the king. And his world changes. And what's what Jesus' response? Jesus says, you believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree. You'll see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open." and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, this is pretty big language. The heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Not only have you met me, not only do I know you, but I'm taking you on an adventure, is what Jesus is saying. Now, Jesus is actually quoting Genesis 28, and we're going to turn to that and figure out why, because in it, 
I think we can find something deeper going on. Something about this encounter that's unexpected. So if you can turn to or scroll to Genesis 28, I want to look at what Jesus is quoting. So Genesis 28, we're going to start with verse 10, and we're going to read to verse 22. And this passage comes at a point in the life of a man called Jacob. And Jacob is a son of Isaac, and Isaac is a son of Abraham. And Abraham is not too far related from Adam and Eve. We're pretty close to the beginning of creation here. This is, these are one of the, some of the first families around. These guys are related to Noah and not that far back. And Jacob, at this point we find him, in chapter 28, is running for his life. This is the family, this is what Jesus is quoting, this is the family that God chose to build his relationship on earth with. This is the family that was supposed to go out in number. This is a family that God loved, that God spoke to, and that God built. This is a family that was going to be the pillar of all of mankind. This is where God was starting his ministry on earth with his people, making them into his people. So this family is kind of special. But in, in, in chapter 28, verse 10, we have this special family in a pretty dangerous situation. Jacob is running for his life. Jacob is running for his life because his brother wanted to kill him, because he lied to his dad, because his mum told him to. So this is the family that God has chosen to make his ministry on earth go out to the nations. This is the family that he's building his church on. This is the family that he's chosen to call close to him. And they're pretty messy. This is what Jesus is quoting. And we're going to read it from the beginning and we'll get to the point that Jesus is referencing. Jacob's dream of Bethel. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. This is, the mo this is in the moment where Jacob is running for his life and God is meeting him in a dream. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I'll bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. This dream... This dream of the stairway to heaven. You know the Led Zeppelin song? That's where it's from. So this is a dream of the stairway to heaven, where the angels of God are descending and ascending on it. This is what Jesus is talking about when he said to Jacob, sorry, when he said to Nathaniel, you will see the angels ascending and descending. So what is he talking about? Why is this so special? Well, the moment in Jacob's life that it comes, the moment when he's fleeing from his brother, from his incredibly messy family situation, where, he, where Jacob himself has stolen the birthright of his brother, tricked his dad, deceived, basically deceiving everything in the family to benefit himself. This moment where Jacob is running for his life, 
He has to stop. He's forced to stop because it's night and he's exhausted. It gets to the point where Jacob can't see one foot in front of the other. And he has to stop. He has to lay down. And he just finds a rock. And apparently it's near the city of Luz, it says. Just a city. Just a random city that Jacob doesn't know, that is nowhere special, that is not somewhere where God is supposed to meet him. It's not somewhere where God is supposed to be found. It's no temple. It's no holy city. And Jacob's never even met God before. And this place, this nowhere place, this city of Luz on a rock where Jacob is fleeing for his life, is where God meets him. It's where God meets him. And he doesn't just meet him, but he gives, himself, he gives Jacob a dream. A dream of angels ascending and descending on a stairway between heaven and earth. It's an image of God connecting with the earth. An image of God saying, I am meeting you, broken, foolish man. I am here and I'm going to build relationship with you. And not only that, God says to Jacob, but he says, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you from this ridiculous family that's evil and broken and confused and lost. I am with you, God says, and I will watch over you wherever you go. I'll bring you back to this land. I'll bring you back to this land. This place where Jacob's just found himself, this, this nothing situation, God says, I'll bring you back to this land. And from here, this is where I'll build my family. And Jacob says, surely the Lord is in this place. I was not aware of it. Jacob was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel. And Jacob made a vow. So Jacob now knows this place there is something about it. This is just a random stone. He's going to make it into something. Jacob comes back to this uh, five chapters later. We won't turn to it, but I'll just explain it. He comes back to it after he's, after he's fled his family, after he's tried to build a new family, and he's finally managed to get, have a wife and have children. He comes back to this rock, and this is where they build home. He calls it Bethel because that means house of God. This is where Jacob builds the temple. This is where God starts everything in Jacob's life. And more than that, when Jacob returns to this place, God meets him again. And God says to him, this is in Genesis 35, but you don't need to turn to it. God says to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, Jacob. The land I give you, I will give this land to your descendants. And he says, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. Your name will be Israel. God met Jacob when he was running for his life on a stone that was not important and turned it to a temple. God met a man called Jacob whose family was a mess, who was going nowhere, who was running from his brother because he'd done something awful. And he said, Jacob, I'm going to rename you. I'm going to redefine you. I meet you, and I'm going to call you Israel. And that wasn't just him giving him a new special name. That was making him a nation, a nation that's still here today, a nation that has lasted hundreds, thousands of years. This was the start of that nation in a nowhere place, in a nothing situation, where Jacob was going nowhere. This is where God met him. 
And then when Jesus meets Nathanael, when Jesus meets Nathanael at the beginning of his ministry, in John 1, verses 49 to 50, whatever it is, I'm going to find it now. This is what he says. I tell you the truth, Nathanael. Like it was told to Jacob in Bethel. Like it was told to Jacob that he would become Israel. Like it was told to Jacob that he mattered. I tell you the truth. You, Nathanael, should see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You too are part of this connection between me and mankind, between heaven and earth. Nathaniel's life seemed like it was going nowhere. He had ordinary rhythms, just everyday busyness, hurrying from one thing, managed to find a bit of space in it to go see what his friend was talking about. Jacob, running for his brother, desperately out of breath, just falls on the ground in exhaustion. These rhythms are not particularly holy rhythms. These rhythms are not particularly special ones. G2 has come to the end of its year. It doesn't feel particularly special. It kind of feels like we're just trying to get to the end. Just trying to get to summer. Maybe you've come a few times. Maybe you've not managed to come much this year. But I tell you, you are here today. And God wants to meet you in this place and in a way that you might not expect. And he doesn't just tell you that he's going to do something with other people because he knows them, but he tells you, I know you. I know the name I want to give you. I want to call you by name. And I want to show you something you won't even expect. These encounters with Jacob and Nathaniel changed their lives completely. Jacob goes from being in a terrible situation to building a family. He's part of generations of struggle and difficulty. He's part of nasty evil from his father to his father to his father. He's part of a broken line. But in this place, God steps in and says, you're not going to do what your father did, and you're not going to do what his father did. I'm going to build a relationship with you. I'll work with them, and I'll work with you, and I'll work with your children. On a nothing day, in a nothing situation, where his rhythm wasn't defined by holiness, his rhythm wasn't defined by being religious, God stepped in and said, I am going to change it. I'm going to change your rhythm. I'm going to change the rhythm of your heart. I'm going to change the rhythm of your family. We're going to go somewhere. 